Genesis 11, like I said, it's been a few weeks. Uh, we had the holidays for a couple weeks. Last week the weather was bad, and the week before the holidays started, we actually did a Christmas message on Wednesday. So best as I can figure, it's been about five weeks since we've been in the book of Genesis. So since we have been so long since we've been in it, I thought we should start again. So let's just start in Genesis 1. Um, just kidding. Genesis 11 here. And if you weren't with us five weeks ago, we were doing the genealogies here. And we had Genesis 10 of the genealogy followed by the story of the Tower of Babel at the beginning part of Genesis 11. The second half of Genesis 11 is the genealogy of Shem. Now, this happens all the time when you study out any of the genealogies, be it in Genesis or in Chronicles, or they have the great list of the names like in the book of Ezra, etc., We start looking at this and we start saying, I have no idea why I am reading this. I mean, look at the couple first verses here of Genesis 11, verse 10. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot artifacts two years after the flood. After he begot artifacts, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. And it just kind of goes on and on and on. And we start saying, what's the point of this? So this is what I want to do. Verses 10 through 26 show us Shem's line. Now, why is Shem's line given to us? Because it's in Shem's line that we have the lineage of where the Savior comes from. This is the lineage of the Jews. If you go look in Luke chapter, uh, I believe it's Luke chapter 3, that is the genealogy of Mary, and it's in that genealogy that you see Shem's line given. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, where it's the genealogy of Joseph, you see it starts with Abraham, which comes from Shem's line. So God put this in here, verses 10 through 26, to remind us these people were real, These people really lived, and we have a marked record, a marked record from all the way back from Adam to Jesus. That's a big deal. From Adam to Jesus, we have a marked record of who came from who. We know that this is real. These are not just fairy tale stories of once upon a time and a long time ago, what have you. This is real. Now, a couple of things just to kind of show you about Shem's genealogy. I love this type of stuff. If you study this out... Abraham and Noah overlapped. Abraham and Noah overlapped. I love these little things. That means, speaking, Abraham growing up could have went to Noah and said, tell me what it was like on the ark. That's amazing. Shem's line overlaps all the way to Jacob. Because we know Shem lived about 600 years. He overlaps all the way to Jacob. That's an amazing thing. So when we start hearing these stories about, well, how do they really know what it was like on the flood? Shem lived for 600 years. Noah, I believe, lived for 950. These guys can tell people what it was like to be on the ark. Shem, his genealogy goes on and on and on all the way to Jacob. That you could have potentially at the time of Jacob went and talked to Shem and say, tell me what it was like to be on the ark during the flood. First hand account. Amazing stuff here. So we may look at verses 10 through 26, see a bunch of names and years and say, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It shows us these are real people and we can mark the line of Jesus all the way back to Adam. And this is the line of the Jews, which takes us to, most importantly here, verse 26. Now Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Abram. Abram is Abraham. And I'm going to tell you right now, from here on out, I will use those names interchangeably. Abram and Abraham. So we're introduced now to Abraham. Key, key person. But before we can get into that, verse 27, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. 
And Haran died before his father Terah in the native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham, Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And the daughter of Haran was the father of Milcah and the father of Ishk. But Sarah was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son, Abram, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, and Sarah's son Abram's wife. And they went out from them, from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah dwelt in Haran. Once again, we may look at those verses and say, what's the point? Bear with me here real quick. Those verses, verses 27 through 32, now introduced to the main characters that we're going to continue on here for the next few chapters. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis cover 2,000 years. We cover 2,000 years and 11 chapters. From chapter 12 to the end of Genesis now, about 30 chapters, we're only covering a few hundred years. It gets much, much more detailed. Remember that. From Genesis 1 to Genesis 11... 2,000 years. Starting in Genesis 12, this is now a detailed account of people's lives. And the main character now is Abraham. Look at all the details we have. Look at all the details we have. First off, in verses 27 to 32, we're introduced to Lot. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Lot plays a key role in Genesis 13 and Genesis 14 and Genesis 19. We're introduced to Sarah. Abraham's wife becomes the mother of Isaac. We're introduced here to Nahor and Melchah, which may not sound like a big deal, but they're grandparents to Rebekah, which becomes Isaac's wife here in Genesis 24. So all these guys are mentioned to remind us as we go through these next few chapters, these people all play a key component. And let me repeat this to being to the point of repetition. They're real. They're real people. That's why God spends all these details to say, look, I mean, who really cares in verse 32? That the days of Terah's life were 205 years. Well, that shows he was real. He lived for 205 years. It's important to see this. Too often when we look at the Bible, we start looking at the Bible of a collection of just fun little stories. No, this is an account of God's plan and man's life. And all these details of genealogies and years and where did they live and whose grandparents and nieces and nephews. It's a soap opera that's all intertwined. And it's important to know this because in Genesis 13, when Lot gets himself in trouble, we say, well, who cares? We care because that's Abraham's nephew. When we find out in Genesis 19, when Lot's in trouble one more time, Just forget about Lot. No, that's his nephew. It's important to know all these little details. In Genesis 24, when Rebekah becomes Isaac's wife, we say, who cares? Well, we care because we can tell that Rebekah is Abraham's niece. We have all these details now that come together to make it more explainable. So, Genesis 11... Verses 10 through 32 end the genealogy. It sets the tone now for Genesis 12 on. We're introduced to all the main characters now. And now we can move on. We know these people were real. And we start getting these little bit of tidbits. Look at verse 30. Sarah was barren. She had no child. That's a pretty big deal. That's going to come up here a little bit later on. Details that are important to be introduced now. So... Now we're going to start Genesis 12, but before we get into that, anybody got any quick questions, comments about Genesis 11 here, finishing up verses 10 through 32, the genealogies, etc. Ryan. Well, if you look at Yeah, and that's a good point. And what Ryan's referencing is Genesis 10.25, which we talked about um, 
I was going to say a couple weeks ago, but a couple months ago, in Genesis 10.25, to Eber were born two sons, the neighbor one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And he's right. It also gives us that historical context because the earth was divided, the Tower of Babel during Peleg's time, and it helps us be able to, like Ryan said, get a little bit more dates settled down of when did the Tower of Babel happen. We know now because we can put the genealogy together with it. Anybody else have anything? Yeah. I think a lot of people did. You know, that's part of the way when the earth could be fruitful and multiply, going all the way back to before the flood and after the flood, when these people are living to see nine generations, they were be able to have lots of kids and fill the whole earth. And as you look at the dates here, Shem, like I said, was about 600 years old. If you get all the way down to the end, Terah only lived 205 years. Abraham only lived 175 years. So by the time we get to Abraham, we're seeing ages cut down by at least 500 years. So living a long time, that really seems to stop in Genesis 11. From Genesis 12 on, don't get me wrong, 175 years is still a long time. But when you're dealing with Methuselah of 900 plus years, it starts to change. But to answer your question, I believe most people lived a long time. We've studied out before, before the flood happened, a lot of people believed that the earth was a different type of, um, I don't want to say topography, climate. And so therefore they were able to live longer, where after the flood you start to see ages drop considerably, considerably. In a span of about 10 generations, they live about 500 years less. But I think most everybody probably lived a long time before the flood. That's just my opinion. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Okay. Let's talk about Abraham. Verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth trees of Marah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Dustin, if you want to go ahead and put that uh, slide up real quick. It's not there. Well, it was a great slide. It really was that we were going to show you. It was showing you where Haran was compared to the promised land and where Abraham went. And basically what it comes down to is he didn't go to where he was supposed to go. But we need to talk about this a little bit because Abraham is known for his amazing obedience. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the great chapter of faith, and you see all these heroes of faith. And Abraham, some of the stuff that he did in faith was absolutely amazing. Hebrews 11, please. And it goes on and on, and we're not going to read all of it here in Hebrews 11 because it talks about Abraham for about 11 verses, but I just want you to get the feel for this. Abraham, in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and when he went out, not knowing where he was going. That's a huge passage. To go and you don't know where you're going. We're starting to plan some family trips here, you know, for the month, for the year of 2014. And our firstborn, Elias, needs to know everything of where we're going. Judah, our secondborn, we could travel for days and he would not even care. We could just circle Henry County and he would never know the difference. Elias needs to know all the details. So for some of you, 
You see Hebrews 11, 8, and you say, Abraham went and he didn't know where he was going. You say, oh, that sounds fun. For some of you, that would be the worst thing that could happen to you, is the Lord to just say, go, and you don't know where you're going. That's why it's a walk of faith. Abraham is a great example of faith. And it kind of goes on here. And you have the story in verse 11 of them having a baby well past the age where they could have a baby. To the point of verse 12, therefore from one man and him as good as dead. Abraham was basically a walking dead man. That's what the Bible is saying. He shouldn't have been having kids. 100 years old, he shouldn't have been doing this. But he did. That's the amazing miracle of it. Then it goes on to say this, verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was called in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. So Abraham, this wonderful man of faith, left and went when God said go, didn't know where he was going. He had a child of faith well past the years that he should have or could have. And he was willing to offer up his son as a sacrifice, trusting that even if God would ask him to do it, that the Lord would raise him from the dead. See, that's what we normally focus on when it comes to Abraham, this wonderful man of faith. And we can't deter that. That's true. But you're in Hebrews 11. Jump to Acts 7, please. Acts 7. Stay in the New Testament there. Stephen, when he gives his report of the history of Israel before the Sanhedrin, he makes a really interesting comment here about Abraham. Acts chapter 7, please. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives his report on the history of Israel, and he says this about Abraham, starting in verse 2. And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of our glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. Now you may say, Okay, what's the big deal? Jump back now to Genesis 12. Let's put this all together. Look at verse 1 of Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, past tense, get out of your country. Abraham didn't obey. See, when Abraham was in the Ur of the Chaldeans, the Mesopotamian area, God spoke to Abraham at that time, and he said, leave. Leave your family. Go. Go to the promised land. Go where I told you to go. And guess what Abraham did? He didn't. He didn't leave. And when he finally did leave, who did he take with him? Well, he took Lot, verse 4. He took his dad with him. And then they go to this place called Haran, which is not near the promised land. That's what the slide was going to show you. It's north of the promised land. So he didn't go where he was supposed to go. And it says that they stayed at Haran until his dad died. You know what the name Haran means? It means delay. Isn't that interesting? They go stay at a place which means delay. He took people with him that he wasn't supposed to. And the plan was held up. He is an amazing man of faith and obedience when it comes to Isaac, when it comes to the promised child, when it comes to the obedience of saying, Lord, I'll go where I don't know where I'm going. But this guy had problems. He also was a perpetual liar. He lies to Pharaoh in a couple chapters. He lies to Abimelech in a little bit. And he's also a man of the flesh. When the promised child doesn't come and his wife has the great idea of, hey, why don't you go hook up with our maidservant Hagar? He says, okay. This guy's got some issues. Now, the reason I bring this up, this is what makes him relatable. I have moments of Abraham victory. I do, where I think, wow, Lord, I believe you can move mountains and mountains are moved. Lord, I believe you're calling me to do this. And the Lord just opened doors and I'm walking in the faith and obedience of Abraham. 
and little angels are singing and the sun's shining on me and it's wonderful. And then I have moments of complete flesh. I'm not hooking up with Hagar, the maidservant, don't worry about that. But there's moments of just, what is this? Have you not ever looked at yourself and said, why is it at 8 a.m. in the morning I'm a man of God, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon I'm a man of the flesh? What just happened here? See, Abraham is relatable because he does have amazing moments of victory, but he also has some awful moments of bad choices. And God still said, I want to use you. So the first point here, the spiritual point, is when the Lord says to get out and go do something, do it. See, by Abraham waiting, first off, he took Lot with him. Lot is just a thorn in Abraham's side in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 13, Lot's people and Abraham's people get into a fight over wells. In Genesis 14, Lot gets captured and Abraham has to go rescue him. In Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed, but Abraham has to worry about Lot. Lot is just that awful family member that you wish you weren't related to, but you can't do anything about. Abraham should have left Lot back in Ur of the Chaldeans. That was God's plan. Now, in a picture of grace and mercy, God uses Lot. But the original plan was leave Lot back there. Because God knew it would be an issue. God also said, leave your family behind. And instead, Abraham went, took his family with him, and then stayed at Haran, which means delay. Now think about that for a second. Was there ever something in your life where the Lord really wanted to use you, but because of choices you made or, or aspects of the flesh, you just felt like God's will in your life was delayed? There's been times in my life where I look and I say to the Lord, why are things not happening? Why are things not moving? I, well, I'm, I camped at Haran. I camped at delay. And until I'm obedient to what God has asked me to do, I'm kind of stuck. See, as a Christian, God is so organized. He wants you to do step A first, then step B, then C, then D, then E. He wants you to go right down in the order of obedience. Sometimes we have a tendency not to like step B. So I want to jump from A to C. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And if I choose to skip step B, I'm going to get stuck at Haran and be delayed in my walk with the Lord. And I'm going to be stuck in neutral. And a lot of times people come up to me and they'll call me or they'll say, hey, can I talk to you? And they'll be saying something like this. I feel like spiritually I'm just treading water. I feel like spiritually I'm just spinning. I feel like I'm not moving forward. I feel like there's more that the Lord wants me to do, but there's nothing. And I usually stop and ask them, have you done the last thing that God asked you to do? Because until you do the last thing that God asked you to do, he's not going to give you the next step. Abraham was delayed at Haran until, I hate to say it, until his father passed away. And then the Lord said, okay, we can kind of move on here a little bit. Now, why did God want to do this? Well, the answer is found in Joshua 24 too. Look at the verse I put on your sheets. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in the old times, and they served other gods. See, Terah wasn't a good influence on Abraham. He wasn't. In fact, look at verse 31 of Genesis 11. We don't know for sure. It sure looks like Terah took the lead. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, and his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Who took the lead in verse 31? Terah did. Was that his calling? No. We know from Acts 7, God called Abraham. See, this wonderful man of obedience got the calling to leave 
and didn't leave. Got the calling to leave his family and didn't leave his family. Got the calling to leave his family behind. Took Lot with him. I can relate to that. So I guess the question comes up here. Can you go with me to Mark chapter 1? What are we willing to leave behind for Jesus? Because the Lord's going to ask you to leave stuff behind. It really is. Mark chapter 1. Now, please don't think that I'm skipping over some important verses here as you're going to Mark chapter 1. Don't get me wrong. That passage of, I'm going to give you a land, a great nation, I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. We're going to hit those verses next week. I, I can't overemphasize enough the importance of us understanding the role of Israel in the world today and understanding the role of the Jews in the world today. And we will get into that in depth next week because that little verse there, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. You want to be on the side of God, you want to be on the side of the Jews. And we will definitely get into that next week. But we have to be introduced to Abraham here a little bit. Look at Mark 1, verse 16. Jesus, when he's calling his disciples... And he says, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Then immediately they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the uh, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went after him. Now, we, we've hit these verses many times before. When Jesus called Simon and Andrew, what do they do? Verse 18 immediately obeyed. When Jesus called James and John, what do they do? Verse 20, immediately obeyed. Delayed obedience is not obedience. If the Lord has laid something on your heart, don't delay in doing it. Don't get stuck at Haran. That's exactly what Abraham did. His obedience was delayed because he chose to do what he wanted to do in his time frame with his people. It doesn't work that way in any way whatsoever. Immediately leave the nets, immediately leave the family. Do you know how difficult that is to do? Now think about this for a second. When they leave their nets in verse 18, as a fisherman, that's their livelihood. That's everything to them. So for them to leave their nets, that's them leaving their income. That's them leaving their livelihood. That's huge. That's huge. I don't know what the equivalent for us today would be to say, hey, I'm just going to quit my job in faith. And go out and follow the Lord, whatever ministry has called for me. That's huge. If God has asked you to leave something behind, maybe there is an activity. Maybe there is something that you used to do that is not helpful. It's not edifying. It's not beneficial. Leave it behind. It's going to hurt your walk with the Lord. Look at the next one. They left their father behind in verse 20. Maybe there's somebody you need to leave behind. Maybe there's a, a old relationship. Maybe there's influences you have through friends or family members that are not productive. They're not helpful. They're not spiritually encouraging. And maybe the Lord is saying, for me to really use you, you've got to sever some of these ties. You've got to be careful about who you spend time with. See, God wanted Abraham to leave Terah behind. Why? Not because God was mean. Terah was involved in idol worship. And God's saying, no, Abraham, I can't have you with that. I need you to leave that behind. So just ask yourself, what is the Lord asking you to leave behind? What nets are you, is he asking you to let go of? What relationships is he saying, hey, you need to watch the influence of this? Because to be used by the Lord, sometimes we've got to let those things go. Abraham's example of that. One last passage to go to here so we finish up. Go to Luke 9, please. Luke 9. 
All right, as we go to Luke 9 here, anybody got any quick questions, comments about uh, Abraham leaving the Ur of the Chaldeans here? Uh, Chaldeans is another name for Babylon. Ur is a little bit south of where Babylon was. So they're leaving this Mesopotamian area where there had been a lot of idolatry and false gods where the Babylonians would have started from. God is asking him to move out of that area and go down to Canaan. Like I said, I had that slide there, but we're not able to put up, and it shows the trek that he went, and it was quite the trek. Anybody got any quick questions, comments here? Yeah, Liz. Yeah. Okay. Right. And Acts seven, it said, yeah, Acts seven. He was told to do it when he was in Mesopotamia, and then in verse one of Genesis twelve, it's past tense. The Lord had said. So he had already told Abraham this. Uh, my New King James Version, uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. Yeah. And it actually, if you look it out, it's past tense. God had already said this to him, yeah. And we know that they had spent some time in Iran, because if you jump down to Genesis 12, verse 5, Abraham took Sarah's wife, or some people say Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all, look at this, all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. So they were there for a while. They gathered all this stuff. See, this is part of the problem sometimes with obedience to the Lord, is the Lord has laid something on our heart to do, but we're not really hurting. I mean, it's not like my life is miserable. Yeah, I know what the Lord wants me to do, but I'm really kind of content here. I don't know what happened in Haran, but verse 5, Haran was pretty good to Abraham. In fact, it was real good to Abraham. And that's the thing about obedience to the Lord. Sometimes what He asks you to do, it's a sacrifice. It hurts a little bit. And it takes you out of your comfort zone. And that's that little catchphrase, comfort zone. We don't like to be out of our comfort zone. You know, I want to stay in Haran. I'm successful. It's working. I've joked with you before. I remember when I was a kid at a church that I was attending, missionaries came. And the missionaries came, and they did their little spiel on being a missionary. And they told us as kids, now you guys pray to see if the Lord has called you into the mission field. And I wouldn't do it, because I don't want to go into the mission field. And to this day, I still haven't prayed, Lord, you want me to go to the mission field. Because there's that comfortability. I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go. I, I want to stay right here. Now, obviously, I'm joking a little bit, because if the Lord said move, we'd move. But there's a place where we like to be, and obviously, Haran was good to Abraham. Verse 5, they seemed to collect a lot of things. But eventually it reached a point where God said, you got to go, you got to move. And Abraham in obedience went. Anybody else have any other quick questions here? Yeah, Kathy. Did it really? It says that finally arrived in Canaan? Well... That, uh, that kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Finally arrived in Canaan. You know, that's kind of the thing. If you really study this out, from where they were to where they went is not where God called them. And obviously it took some time from them to get from point A to point B there. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Yeah, Carol. Back in Hebrews, um, Hebrews 11, 8, mm-hmm. said, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was He did obey, and, and there's, but his obedience, if you add in Acts 7 and what we're studying here in Genesis 12, he did do it. He eventually did. And 
But there was this delay in doing it, and he took people he wasn't supposed to take with him. Lot ends up becoming a problem. You know, I, I look at it this way. We asked the boys the other day to go clean their bedroom. This had been last week when all the snow hit. We had a lot of time. So we asked the boys to go clean what we call the Little Bud's room. This is where uh, our third and our fourth son. So the four-year-old and the five-year-old, that's their room. I am not exaggerating. Four hours later, there was almost no progress. So I, I, I got on them and said, we're going to do this. We're going to clean. And I set a time frame. Finally, five hours later, the room was clean. So they came and they asked to do something. I said, no. And they said, why? And I said, you were not obedient. Well, we were not obedient with. I said to go clean the little bud's room, and you didn't. And they said, Dad, we did. I said, it doesn't take five hours to clean the little bud's room. I said, yes, you completed the task, but were you really obedient to the command that God gave you? I should say God. Whoops, sorry. The command. Now, now you know what it's like in the urban house. Um, to the command, because Dawn told him to do it, you know. Um, <laughs> The command that that I gave you. And so I I agree with what you're saying there, Carol. He did obey. He got to the promised land. That is true. But when you look at Genesis 12 and you look at Acts 7 and you put all these little puzzle pieces together, it was was delayed obedience to get to that point. Yeah, Betsy. Oh, wow, that's kind of neat. God rewrote their story and their sins were not remembered. You know, because the truth is, he did obey. He got there. But the route he took and the time he took to get there were not a straight shot and it could have been done a lot better. And that's why I think it's interesting that Haran, once again, means delay. It's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, Steph. Abraham, I think, did have a punishment. He, um, Lot was a thorn in his side. And, and, I, and I don't mean to keep repeating that, but in Genesis 13, he has an issue with Lot. In Genesis 14, he has an issue with Lot. Genesis 19, he has an issue with Lot. So I guess, did he have an issue? If he wouldn't have brought Lot, he wouldn't have had those issues. Now, I want to stress to you again, Lot ends up being, according to Hebrews, righteous Lot. I want to make sure that comes across, and it looks like Lot will be up in heaven with us. But, yes, to answer your question, was there a punishment? Well, I think the punishment was he had to deal with some of these lot issues. So, yeah, Rose. Well, don't we all want uh, Hebrews 11 when they talk about this God's Yeah. It is. And, you know, and that's, it kind of reminds me of when you do a funeral for somebody. Um, there's this little phrase here, and it's in uh, Romans 12, verse 14. You don't need to turn there. It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And that word for bless those who persecute you in the Greek is eulogize. And, you know, I obviously do a lot of funerals. And when you do a eulogy, 99.9% of the time, you just ignore every bad thing that's ever happened in that person's life. And you just get up there and say, this man was a great father. He was a great this, a great whatever. And God is saying there in Romans 15, for those enemies that you can't stand... Bless them, eulogize them, only focus on the good. So Hebrews 11 is kind of a neat chapter where, you know, if you go back and read about Abraham, it's like, hey, let's not mention lying to Pharaoh. Let's not mention lying to Abimelech. Let's not mention Hagar and Ishmael. Let's not mention any of those things. So anybody else got any final things here? That is God's grace. 
He does. And that's the picture of grace. I remember when I first got saved, someone used this analogy with me, and I've never forgot it, and maybe it won't impact you. But they said every time that God looks at us, he looks, through us at the, he looks at us through the lens of Jesus. And so instead of seeing my sin, he sees what Christ did on the cross to cover my sin. And what a beautiful picture that is. That's why the Bible can call me righteous. I am not righteous, but through the blood of Jesus, I am righteous. It's a beautiful thing. Shirley, you had your hand up. Not at that exact moment, because the Babylonians, as we know, did not exist at that time. But the Chaldeans are another name for the Babylonians, and that's kind of the area that they were in. Yeah. And he, And that's a great question. I was reading as I was preparing for this. You know, one of the commentators asked this question because we know from Joshua 24, 2, that terror was serving false gods. And one of these people asked a rhetorical question saying, what happened in Abraham's life where he was linked to God? You know, what, what happened there? And, you know, and it's kind of a vague little thing. The Lord obviously appeared to Abraham. We know later on as we study out the, the Jews, God makes it abundantly clear to the Jews, I did not choose you. Because you are a great, mighty, powerful nation. He says, in fact, I chose you the least powerful of all people to make sure my name would come across clearly. So I don't know what was in Abram's life or Abraham's life that God said, this is a man that I want to use. But I find it very encouraging because I see a lot of families that are, I think are the most dysfunctional of all dysfunctional families. But yet out of those dysfunctional families, here's this little seed for Jesus that comes out of it. And it's pretty neat to see what God still does. It's a pretty neat thing. Anybody else got any final things here? All right, last passage, and we're done. It's after 8 o'clock. We were talking about what are we willing to leave behind for Jesus. We talked about nets and people. Luke 9, verse 57. We'll make this super quick. Luke 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61, another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell or at my house. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Very quickly, what this is saying is verse 57, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says in verse 58, I hear you say that, but are you willing to make the sacrifices for me? You know, what Jesus is saying is the son of man is nowhere to lay his head. He goes, I have no home. Are you willing to make the same sacrifices I am? A lot of people say, Lord, I will do whatever you call me to do. And then when God asks you to do something, you say, well, no, I don't want to serve you through my health being bad. Lord, I don't want to serve you through the sorrow of loss of someone. Lord, I don't want to serve you through losing my job. No, I want to serve you through the good. God says, follow me, whatever. Verses 59 and 60, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, let the dead bury their own dead. That sounds harsh. If you really study this out, it's not that his dad had died. His dad was still living. He is saying, I will follow you, Jesus, when my dad dies. And the point is this. Too often we say, Lord, I will do whatever you want 
Once I'm done with this, it's a really busy time at work. It's a really busy time with the kids. It's a busy time at school. It's a busy time with this. God says, you have to put me first and everything else falls into place. The last one, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell. We're at my house. That's the person that says, Lord, I'll follow you, but I still want to keep one foot in the world. So can I go out Friday night and get totally wasted and drunk, but I'll be ready Sunday morning to teach Sunday school. I want the best of both worlds. Let me first go say goodbye to my friends. Let me still have those friends with the world, but yet I'll still follow you, Jesus. You can't have both. What Jesus is saying, to really follow me, you have to be willing to make sacrifices. You have to be willing to let go of commitments that you feel are important to follow in the commitments of the Lord. And you have to stop and say, Lord, I'm willing to let go of whatever relationships I have that keep me from going full force in you. So, Abraham is an example of obedience without a doubt, but he's also an example of a man that had some lack of obedience in certain areas there. So, hey, it's after 8 o'clock. We'll get going here. I encourage you. I hope you can make it next week. We're going to keep on here in Genesis 12. We'll get into the relationship of Israel and the Jews. Really important stuff there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the time to be here. Help us to do what you call us to do, when you call us, how you call us, without delay, Lord. We want to be obedient to you in all that we say and all that we do. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.